That is right. We have intro music. And if that didn't play, then I am technologically deficient. Yeah. What are we talking about today, Nick? Uh, we're going to be going over our breakouts, our sleepers, and our busts for the 2022 fantasy football season based off of the running back position. Yeah. Um, we picked two for each, and I... Colin, do you have anything else to add before we start? We should probably welcome in everybody to the Wagney Fantasy Football Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Wagney Fantasy. Visit our website at www.wagneyfantasy.com. Let's get back to it. So we're talking about our running back, who we think is going to break out or better their ADP by quite a bit, substantially. That kind of ties into our bold predictions, I guess. Um, who our sleepers are at that position, who you can get outside the top 25 yeah, round picks. Yep. And then our bus who we just don't see living up to expectations. So without further ado, Nick Musto, would you like to start us off with your first breakout slash bold prediction? My bold breakout prediction for the 2022 season is that Elijah Mitchell will be a top five fantasy football running back. Um, he's being drafted at the 23rd as the 23rd running back off the board. I think that is absurdly low. I've been high on this guy since the moment he took over the starting role in San Francisco. I don't know how you can ignore a San Francisco running back, throw him at an RB three spot. Almost um, San Francisco runs the ball 49% of the time. Debo Samuel also who cut into his workload last year is running the ball. He doesn't want to run the ball anymore. It's been part of the reason he held out of, um, practicing with the team. Um, Jeff Wilson, the, uh, one of the backups for Elijah Mitchell, he's old. He showed last year that he was completely inefficient, averaged just over two yards per carry. Um, and Trey Sermon, the guy drafted ahead of Elijah Mitchell, has showed no promise with the staff. Uh, the team has made it clear that he is not their guy. It is Elijah Mitchell. Um, I also think that the addition of Trey Lance into the offense will mean more running. Um, more, uh, It'll defenses will have to watch Trey Lance because he is mobile unlike Jimmy Garoppolo. How can you get more rush dominant than like number three in the league last year? I think it'll happen with a quarterback who is prone to run the ball. Do you think the loss of Mike McDaniel, their offensive coordinator slash longtime run game coordinator is going to impact Elijah Mitchell at all? Um, No, I think it's kind of the bread and butter of the San Francisco 49ers. They've always been a run first team. And I don't see that changing with now having a quarterback under center who is uh, he is going to be in his second year, but he really didn't play much last he's year. A rookie, pretty much. Yeah, he's basically a rookie, and he's a running quarterback. He can throw the ball. He's got one of the strongest arms, but he is a rushing quarterback. He's athletic. Um, he's going to need to, uh, more bailouts when it comes to passing because he may not be able to read the field as well as Jimmy Garoppolo can because he's, a, he's younger. Jimmy Garoppolo was seasoned. So this could mean more bailouts, um, dump downs to Elijah Mitchell, increase that receiving game. Um, in his in 11 of his 14 starts last year, Elijah Mitchell had 17 plus carries and 20 plus in six of those starts. Um, those are great numbers for a rookie. The most by any San Francisco running back over the last five years. Yeah, I think they might have found their guy if he can stay healthy. He was on and off the field occasionally last year. Um, but he did get some use in the receiving game. Jamichael Hasey took a little bit away from that. But again, he's also just getting older and injury prone. So I could see Elijah Mitchell taking uh, more of that receiving game as well. He caught 94% of his targets last year, which is a high number, but for running backs, it's usually uh, fairly high because they aren't going downfield that far. Yeah. So you see the stars aligning for Elijah Mitchell to 
become top five. I see him cutting apart defenses. I watched him last year and he was just, he was just a good running back. He, he could do three downs. He wasn't necessarily asked to do three downs, but I think that may happen this year. He's going to be on the field more. Um, I think they found their guy and I think drafting him at the 23, 23rd running back off the board is insultingly low. I would love for him to be on my RB3. Yeah. I don't know about RB2. You're looking at that ADP of 23. I, I don't know if I trust him as my RB2. I do agree. There's some upside there. Top five. Okay. Um, I want to go into my first guy, the neighboring ADP. Mitchell's at RB23. I will choose the guy after him. Travis Etienne at RB24. My bold take is it's less bold than yours, but Etienne's going to be an RB1. He's going to finish as a top 12 running back. And I, I projected out the Jacksonville Jaguars offense this past week. You can find the video, the full projections, and the write-up on it at our website, www.wagmefantasy.com. But look, Etienne is fully healthy. He's the presumed starter with James Robinson still recovering from a torn Achilles. He looks great in OTAs. There's reports that like he's back, his his burst, his his cuts are precise, and he looks great. Um, he's working as a hybrid slash receiver in OTAs. There's a lot of speculation that he is going to be that scat back. Like uh, Urban Meyer originally drafted him as that scat back. They they said he'd be a scat back. Um, he had over a hundred receptions in his Clemson career, so that's not a far reach to say that he's going to get 50 receptions on the year. And when you get that receiving workload, I, th I think that just raises your floor and ceiling for an explosive playmaker like ETN. He's essentially a rookie. He missed all of last season. He was a first round pick, even under different management that draft capital still carries over. He's, he's by far the most talented running back in this room. He's going to be the starter and he's got, great history with Trevor Lawrence. I mean, they played all, yeah. all three years together at Clemson. He was the receiving back there, the workload back there. Um, Doug, Are you concerned at all about James Robinson? No, I mean, yes and no. I, th I projected James Robinson to come back about like week four or five. He looks pretty healthy. I mean, he's posting workout videos right now and they, they look good for six months after torn Achilles. And we see like Cam Akers return in six months. So it's not far-fetched to think he can make a week one recovery. But Travis Etienne's a healthy guy right now that's getting all the reps in, in training camp, OTAs. Um, he's going to have a million more reps under his belt come week one and be separated from his injury uh, four months longer than what James Robinson was. And now Doug Peterson's in town. So you know a committee backfield is going to be used but in a committee backfield, Doug Peterson always uses a receiving back. You saw Darren Sproles have 71 targets the one year in Philadelphia. So if ETN fills that void, if I, I still see ETN pacing the backfield for carries and receptions, um, I, I just I projected him with 211 points off of 160 something carries and 50 receptions. And that would have been good enough for RB14 last year. So like I haven't noted down 212 total touches projected. I, I just think he's a really electric playmaker. Nobody's really seen him play. And now RB24, I'm willing to take that risk. I think he's a less risky pick than people think uh, recovering from an injury. I 
see a lot of worlds actually where he's a top 12 back this year. I'm not as high on him as you are, but I could definitely see it happening. I wouldn't be concerned about the injury that he had last year. Um, there's, I, I also saw reports that he was, um, he could play near the end of the season last year, but no point. There was no point to put him back in the game. Like, no. Why risk getting re-injured when your team is as terrible as the Jaguars were in 2021? Who's who's your next breakout? Uh, Brees Hall, new Jets signing, rookie running back, uh, going with an ADP of the 22nd running back off the board. Um, I predict that he'll finish at around RB 15. Um, he's competing with Michael Carter, a guy who really wasn't drafted to be a feature back. Um, he will be a great compliment to Brees Hall. I think I don't see Brees Hall being a three down guy. I see Michael Carter being that third down back, but, um, Brees Hall, Brees Hall, um, 5'11", 220, 440. He's going to be the ground and pound guy. He's going to be the red zone guy, goal line guy. guy. He can be, but I do see Michael Carter taking away some receptions. Um, but yeah, I think Brees Hall will outperform his ADP by about seven, uh, seven spots. I think that's great value. If you can get him in the third round, possibly, why not? I, fourth round, I don't see him exceeding 250 touches in a year, which is fine. I mean, he he's certainly, if he's efficient enough in that Jets offense, he, he can crack the top 15. Uh, I think Michael Carter does hurt his ceiling. I believe I had Brees Hall finishing at right around the RB20 spot for last year's totals. Um, I could see a world where he's a top 15 back. Maybe he is a bell cow and maybe the Jets do become more run oriented. Last yeah. year, they had one of the least involved run games in the league, but look at their, their running back core. Michael Carter was the RB1 and he he's not a, a runner. I mean, he's a receiving back. I mean, yeah, I don't see, I mean, these are bold predictions. RB15 won't, that's not where I'm going to rank him in my rankings, but it's something that I could see happening if, all goes well. Yeah. And I got another guy outside the top 15 that I see exceeding his, his ADP. Josh Jacobs is being drafted at the RB 17. He finished as the RB 11 last year, the RB eight in 2020. I think he's going to follow that up with a top eight finish this year. Uh, look, so I think we have name fatigue with him. He came into the league with high expectations out of Alabama. He was the number one running back <clears> taken in his draft. Uh, we were drafting him in the top 10 as a rookie. So I, I feel like we've just been, we're bored of his name being up there at the top of the boards. Um, he came into the league with high expectations. He didn't exactly exceed them. He only met them. And that's got not good enough for us humans. We view that as a disappointment we always expect more in the future than what we give now. Um, but look, he had 54 receptions last year, more than the first two years combined. So if he's receiving, and that's with Kenyon Drake in there, who is pretty yeah. notorious to be a, a receiving back. Um, I think if he's getting that receiving workload, he's not risky whatsoever. He could be a, a low end RB1 pretty easily with 50 plus receptions. How many games did he miss last week? You know? I don't. I, th I think he only. I think he might only miss a COVID game, because um, okay. he finished as RB eleven. Yeah. But they drafted Zamir White out of Georgia. He Zamir White won't carve out any more of a role than what Kenyon Drake did last year. Which who is still there? Kenyon Drake is still there. They did sign Brandon Bolden, so they got a couple veteran backups there and a rookie running back that could steal some touches but I'm really not concerned. I don't think any are near Josh Jacobs talent. Josh Jacobs is a very talented runner. 
He's only 24 years old and he's in the money season. He's entering what his, so I guess it would be just his third year, but the team declined his fifth year. So he's, he's trying to put pump out a really strong year before he, he enters free agency. Um, he's in a higher powered offense. They yeah. bring in Devonte Adams. He's the clear goal line back that he had 70% of touches inside the 10, seven touchdowns inside the five yard line. I think that offense is going to score a lot more and Josh Jacobs can be on the tail end of things, finishing off drives for them. Yeah. I think that uh, he finished RB 11 last year with an offense that is not as good as is going to be this year. I think that he finishes inside the top 10, just as you do. You have top eight. I could see that happening. Yeah. I like Josh Jacobs as my RB two. I'm going to target him at that end of third, early fourth, any, any time. <clears throat> Let's switch it over to our sleepers. And these are guys outside the top 25 that we think are very valuable. Yeah. My first guy on my list is AJ Dillon. He's going as the RB running back 29 off the board. Um, after his rookie year in 2020 um, to this 21, 2021 season, he saw a 75% increase in touches um it really was kind of, it wasn't uh predicted that that would happen uh Aaron Jones was the guy before this season started and then uh you see AJ Dillon just emerge out of the woodwork frustrating as a Jones owner yes it was um also no Devontae Adams means the Packers rely more on the run game and I think the run game will be dominated by AJ Dillon uh Aaron Jones will see more of the receiving work but um I could see what's AJ dominated Dillon. What's dominated? Dominated as in he has more than 50-50. I think A.J. Dillon's 60-40. I mean, he had like 55-45. I could see 60-40 yeah. is probably where I'm projecting them yeah. to be. Dominate may not be the, the best diction in that situation, but I think that he wins the workload based on the run game. I think Aaron Jones still gets his in the run game, but is used much more in the passing game. However, we've seen that A.J. Dillon can catch the ball. In Aaron Jones' absences last year, he was a beast. He was he was a set-it-and-forget-it guy in your lineup. Um, I could also see A.J. Dillon taking more of the goal line role. Um, he's a big guy. I don't have Quad his weight Zilla. yet. Yeah, Quadzilla. Quad he's huge. Uh, A.J. Aaron Jones is uber-efficient on his touches, and he does score touchdowns. But when they're on the two-yard line, it doesn't make sense to not hand it to um, – uh, AJ Dillon in those situations. He did have 34 catches last year. So that does prove that he's still used in the receiving game. And I think that 29, he could finish much higher than that. Yeah. Uh, AJ Dillon. So I think he's both him and Aaron Jones are more discounted than they should be. I think they both Aaron Jones finished as RB 10 last year. Dylan was like RB 23. I don't see them finishing lower than what they did last year. I mean, you talk about Devontae Adams being gone, MVS being gone as well. They really don't have any wide receiver one. I mean, Alan Lazard's probably going to be that guy due to trial and error and yeah. process of elimination. But I I think Aaron Jones is going to be used more as that scat back. He's going to be heavily involved in the receiving work. You saw in the last game last year, um, playoff game where they lost to San Francisco and ended their season. Jones had nine catches for 180 yards. He's dangerous in the open field. I think they're going to try and get him in the open field and the receiving work. I do see AJ Dillon taking over the, the majority of the backfield touches though. And I think at RB 29 in an offense with Aaron Rodgers and green Bay, a uh, relatively strong lineup. They're going to get back yard back their long-term tackle. Um, I, I see AJ Dillon as a top 
near top 20 running back. Yeah. I don't want to discount him outside the top 25 at all. Um, I'm going to go down a little further into the, the rankings and I will choose a guy that we mentioned in our last podcast. Um, the con- the counterpart to Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon is going at RB 37 and I don't see a world where he finishes outside the top 30. He finished as the RB 21 last year. In 16 games, he split 50-50 with Javante on the ground. Javante got a a slight advantage throughout the air. Listen, Melvin Gordon, he's 29, but that really doesn't matter. I feel like he's an ageless running back at this point. Um, He's had nine-plus touchdowns in the last six seasons. Denver's a much higher-powered offense with Russell Wilson in there. They're going to get to the goal line much more. Um, And Gordon had nine more red zone touches than Javante a slight advantage when they get close to finishing drives. I I see him scoring double-digit touchdowns again, and the split will tilt in Javante's flavor. Wow, flavor. Flavor. Yep. Favor. <laughs> That's that mile-high flavor, you know. Javante, yeah. uh, if he has a 60-40 split, Javante Williams getting 60% of the rushes, Mountain Warren 40%. He's still a top 25 back last year. Uh, Mel Gore, he's, he's going to be there. And at RB 37, if you're getting him as your fourth running back, uh, you should be happy. You know you're not going to get a guy that's going to finish inside the top 15, but you're going to get a guy that could score a touchdown pretty much every game next year. Yeah, I'm not too sure how much the addition of Russell Wilson will change their usage. I doubt it really affects them, though. They run it less, but they yeah. score more. and. Yeah. Melvin Gordon's prominent role around the goal line, I, th- I think that offsets each other. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I'll move on to my next guy, Kareem Hunt, um, being drafted as the number 30 running back off the board. Um, each of our guys that we have in our sleepers, um, they're all part of running back by committee offenses, which is interesting because yes. we talked about this earlier in the year. There is value in running back by committee, and it needs to be recognized. Um, and this guy, Kareem Hunt, he's been a great running back for the past three seasons, and he's going way down there in drafts, um, and he always finishes very high. Uh, in 2020, he finished ahead of Nick Chubb at RB10, and Chubb was at RB11. Um, so he's still a legitimate running back. He has more recep- He had more receptions than Chubb in eight games as opposed to Chubb's 14 last year. So he's used a it's it's insane how much more that he's used in the in the receiving game. Chubb he dominates that. Yeah, he's, Chubb catches no, no he's got passes. Got a on that shit. Yeah, and even though uh, I think Kareem had like five more catches in eight games than Chubb did in fourteen, that's still half the time. Speaks, yeah, yeah. Speaks volume. So in the last three seasons, he's averaged twelve point seven, thirteen point seven, and thirteen point eight points per game at the end of the season in full PPR. Um, and if Chubb goes down, Kareem's a locked in top five running back. I would love him to be traded to a team like the Texans where he can really take over a backfield, but that's not the world we're in. And you can get a guy in a very late round who is going to offer you RB two potential almost with 13 points per game. He's very startable last year and the year before. And this is a guy that has a top five running back finish in his career as a rookie finishes RB four with Kansas city. Um, I do agree. The backfield discount is absurd. We talked about this, like you mentioned, and in our backfield committee, dissecting those, that episode, uh, I believe it was episode three or four. You'll have to check. 
Um, but yeah, I would much rather have a guy in Kareem Hunt going in like the seventh, eighth round than I would taking his counterpart, Nick Chubb, in the early second round. Yeah. I, f- I feel like their values really aren't aren't that far away, especially Hunt handling a lot of the receiving workload. His his floor is higher than Chubb's. His ceiling is not going to reach Chubb's. I mean, hardly anybody in the leagues can reach Chubb. Um, but yeah, I'm a big fan of Kareem Hunt at the ADP 30. You're getting a top 20 running back, I think, if he, if he stays healthy. Yeah, uh, he has had um, a history of injury in the league, but as an RB2, it's it shouldn't be that much of a concern because he will see uh, um, a little less uh, workload than Nick Chubb. So with that less work- workload, he's less likely to be injured. I'm not too worried about his injury history here. I'm not worried. I'm yeah. going to go way outside the – I'm going to go outside the top 50 here for the running back rankings. And I'm going to take a guy who finished as RB32 last year in his own – type of committee backfield in another high powered offense. He switched teams over the off season. That's Sony Michelle and he's going at RB 56 and okay. He he's being drafted. Okay. So he joins Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert all meeting up in Miami, all in a new offense with new head coach and a completely new backfield offensive identity. But he's going seven spots below Raheem Mostert and 20 spots below Chase Edmonds. He's he's the cheapest in this backfield, despite being the only dude to have 200 plus carries in in multiple years. And he had he's had 200 plus carries in three out of his four career years. He finished like we mentioned RB RB 32 behind Daryl Henderson for most of the year. I mean, Hendo missed what four games last year where yeah. Michelle was the the premier back but he still accumulated over 200 carries and led the team in touches he was top five in goal line and red zone rushes last year he had 46 red zone rushes so he's a he's a sturdy back who's used around the goal line he's in a triple headed backfield and so that's why he's going at rb56 but i argue that he should be the most expensive one out of this trio instead of instead of the cheapest they're going to be a run-heavy offense. Mike McDaniel comes over. He's He's been the long-term offensive coordinator and run game coordinator for the 49ers. We know their offense all too well. They run the ball, one of the highest marks in the league. Um, in a run-heavy offense with an improved offensive line, he brought in Connor Williams out of Dallas and arguably the best tackle in the game in Teron Armstead. Opportunity will be there. They're going to score – a good amount, maybe not on the pace of the LA Rams last year, but they're still going to be a machine as an offense. They got too much talent to not be opportunity will be there near the goal line. And if I'm looking, if I'm Mike McDaniel looking at the sideline, I see Chase Edmonds, Raheem Mostert, Sonny Michelle stand next to each other. I'm going to look at the densest motherfucker out of that three, say, get in there and run the damn ball in That's Sonny Michelle. I projected him to, so I did our Miami projections I projected him to lead the back and backfield with 40% of the rushes of the team's rushes. That's 185 carries. So he's not quite hitting that 200 mark like he has most of his career. And I still have him finishing as an RB 34 last year. So just two spots lower than what he actually finished. I've, I think he's right around RB 35 and this is guy not, not even being drafted in most leagues. So I will take Sonny Michelle in one of the last league week or wow, what am I trying to say? Last rounds yeah. of the draft. <laughs> Jeez, it's been a long morning. Yeah, I'm scared of this backfield, but if there's one guy in it that I think is going to take it over, it's Sony Michelle. 
Um, Mostert and Edmonds. Mostert's your change of pace. Mostert's only Raheem Mostert's only on this roster because Mike McDaniel's the head coach. If if he didn't have his buddy being the head coach, he wouldn't be on a roster in the NFL right now. He's too injury prone. He's he's getting up there in age, believe it or not. Um, But yeah, I agree. So I I could. Make the argument. I would probably go Edmonds over Michelle, maybe uh, just for that receiving floor and upside. But I like Sony. I, I think he's a guy that if you need to start him during a week where your starters aren't by, he can get you 50 yards and yeah. a touchdown, perhaps. Midway through the season, we might see him just completely take over the backfield and be a top 20 running back. He has the ability. So let's go into our bus. And kind of explain what we mean by this. Yeah, so busts, um, we think that these guys are getting too much hype. They're being drafted a little bit too high. Um, and they'll finish um, a decent slightly amount. Lower. Yeah, slightly lower than what they'll be than what they're being drafted at. Um, my first guy is Javante Williams. Uh, we've talked about him a lot recently. Um, he has an ADP of around 12. Uh, the average is 11.7. We'll say 12. Um yeah, so Melvin Gordon uh, didn't go anywhere, as we said in our last podcast. Javante's stock shot through the roof when there were contract uh, issues with Melvin Gordon at the beginning of the offseason. But now with Melvin Gordon back, um, I see 60-40 in Javante's favor of usage. Last year it was literally 50-50. Uh, Javante had a slight edge in the receiving game. Um, but being drafted as a top 12 running back and RB1 per se – he, I don't see him living up to that potential. Granted, he did last year, but other players got injured. He eked his way in there. He was at the back end of those finishes. I don't see it happening this year. I think he's an RB15. You want him as your RB2, but RB1 is just too high for me. I, I won't be taking him as an RB1. I Personally, I'd go receiver if, if he was the best running back on the board in the end of the first round. So we, we made or I made the argument that Melvin Gordon's heavily slept on because Denver's in a higher powered offense. Um, are people looking at Javante's RB 17 finish last year and using that rationale to boost him into that top 12 running back threshold? Or do you still think that his valuation is because of the offseason inflation? It's definitely a combination of both. People want Javante to be the lead running back I do. in this offense. I, I do as well. But Melvin Gordon averaged four and a half yards per carry last year. Uh, what was it? Nine touchdowns, I think. Uh, I think 10 total, nine on ten, the ground. Okay. But yeah. yeah. So yeah, the guy isn't going anywhere. He's proven that he can still run at 29 years old. Um, and if you're an NFL offense, see for fantasy, we want Javante to take over and get that workload. But you're, if you're an NFL run offense and you have two good running backs, you're not going to kill one. You're going to use them both, keep them both healthy, especially now with Russell Wilson. They have a chance to win the Super Bowl this year, the Broncos do. So why why destroy who might be your better running back um, when you can just split the carries and have them both healthy for a playoff push? I'll put it this way. If I'm going to draft a running back near the RB12 position in the early second, early to mid-second, and I'm looking at two guys in split backfields, between Aaron Jones and Javante Williams, I'll definitely take Aaron Jones like nine times. Out of I time. agree. What about Chubb? Um, Chubb or I'd Javante? take Aaron Jones. Maybe it's my bias because I, I like Aaron Jones personally, but I just like the receiving upside, um, the comfort and the level of talent that he has. I, I know if he touches a ball 10 yeah. times a game, there's a good chance he rips a 20 yard game and scores a touchdown. Um, Javante, he he's a really good running back. He forced one of the highest rates of 
missed tackles last year. But yeah, I think he's being overdrafted. I'm going to talk about my first bust. And this is a guy that I've been ripping on all offseason. That's Dalvin Cook. He's going at right around the RB4 to 6 range. Um, I, it's not that the, his talent's not the question. It's mainly his health and his age and the other variables we'll touch base with. He's missed multiple games every season, 31% of his games in his career. He turns 27 before the season. So those are two things that I'm like, okay, um, when am I investing at the wrong time in this guy? And this is a guy who's had 811 touches over the last three years. That's the second most in the league. Um, and I, I just don't like, I don't, I don't know. I get an, an eerie feeling about Dalvin cook. You yeah. look at Alexander Madison, he had 166 touches last year, um, which is inflated because of Dalvin cook's absence, but Dalvin Cook, like we said, misses multiple games every year. Um, I'm more concerned about Madison's involvement in the red zone. Last year, he had a much larger share, 31 rushes inside the 20 in 2021. Uh, the year prior to that, Dalvin Cook had a monopoly in the red zone, which is why he scored, what, 16 touchdowns. And look, they have a new coach. Kevin O'Connell is in there. He's favor of a backfield committee. I've been saying that. I've been getting into arguments with people about that on Twitter. Uh, that is true. That is true. They've had five running backs over the past two years with 100-plus carries. The year prior, uh, 2019, Kevin O'Connell was offensive coordinator for the Washington Rams – or, wow, Washington Redskins. Oh, uh, Sue me. Whoa. Yeah, they were the Redskins then in 2019. So <laughs> that is politically correct to say. And uh, Adrian Peterson was RB1. And like, come on now, you can't really base anything off of that. Yeah. But Darius Geis was there and he had 80 plus rushes. So that's I, a name I haven't heard in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Darius yeah. Geis. I, I just think a lot of uh, variables tilt out of Cook's favor. You could argue, well, he's in a better offense with a new offensive coordinator. They're higher powered. He's going to run more touchdowns in. I, uh, ultimately, I think he's going to get hurt and miss more than two, three games. I feel like he's gotten lucky. He's only had injuries that have kept him absent for a couple games. Uh, he's due. He's due to have an extended absence. Yeah, I agree. The injury risk and the emergence of Alexander Madison scare him or scare me away from him. But the talent's undeniable with Cook. So I hope we're wrong. But yeah. So I'll move on to my next guy, Cam Akers. Um, he's going as running back 16 off the board. Um, he's coming back from an Achilles injury that he returned from at, at an alarming rate. Uh, he recovered with, he recovered, I think probably the fastest of all time Just from an Achilles running back. Baby. Yeah. Um, but once he came back, he was extremely inefficient 2.3 yards per carry after returning. Um, that's very concerning. Do I see him averaging 2.3 yards per carry next year? No, I think it maybe rises a bit, but if it rises by one and a half yards, that's still not good. Um, you want him above that four mark. It's at alarming least. how bad he was in the playoffs. Yeah, it was insane. Um, so yeah, I, I don't see him finishing near the RB 16 spot. I could see him, I could see him becoming the running back two for this team. I could see Daryl Henderson taking it over after, Hender, baby. yeah, after Akers shows that he is not that guy anymore. He's no longer efficient. Achilles kill running backs, Marlon Mack, Deontay Foreman tore Achilles and became irrelevant. Um, we did see a little bit of Deontay Foreman this year because of Derrick Henry's injury, but. He wasn't good. Foreman's the only dude to return from a torn Achilles that I've seen actually run the ball with some sort of 
Uh, a little bit of power. Yeah. Yeah. Efficiency. So I think that decrease in efficiency, if it continues into this next season, it's Hendo season again, and Hendo takes over the number one role. And Cam Akers, you wasted a second round or a third round pick on him, and it was, yeah, useless. Yeah, I this is a guy that I've been avoiding in all drafts. I don't want him as my RB2 just because, yeah, his range of outcomes, I can see some people are saying he can finish top five. Others, like us, are saying he can finish out to the top 25. So he's got a wide range of outcomes, a lot of volatility and variance with them. It's a guy that I'm going to avoid, and I will probably fade him and take Terrell Henderson towards the end yeah. of the draft. And um, making you can make the claim with Dalvin Cook and Cam Akers. You can use the backfield committee. Um, you can connect it due to Los Angeles. You know, the offense coordinator was Kevin O'Connell. Um, now he's over in, in Minnesota, but everybody is either arguing two things. They're going to be in a backfield committee, um, Cook and Akers, or they're Todd Gurley from 2018 or whatever. Yeah. Oh, this is Todd Gurley's offense. Um, do you realize that he's going to have 20 touchdowns? Um, I think it's a backfield committee, um, but we'll see. And I'm going to mention another backfield committee guy. Um, as my second bust, and that's Antonio Gibson, who's being drafted at the RB18. And honestly, I don't really like this take because at RB18, I think that's pretty priced into his valuation. It's just a guy I'm not too high on. Um, he's Listen, he's finished as a top 12 running back in his first two seasons. Um, so, like, his pedigree is pretty high, but I just I, I feel stale about Antonio Gibson. He's got J.D. McKissick in the passing game who missed five games last year but still had one more target than Gibson. I feel like if J.D. McKissick is healthy and in there for 16, 17 games, um, McKissick is going to steal away a lot of Aaron Jones' targets and receptions. I believe he had 52 targets last year. I feel like with McKissick in there healthy throughout the season, that figure is more like mid-30s. Um, McKissick is much more efficient in the air game. So he's definitely the receiving dominant back. Brian Robinson was drafted out of Alabama. He is in there now. And Ron Rivera likes the committee backfield and he likes Brian Robinson. He's been pretty high on him. He's been vouching for him. Robinson could skim that goal line work that Antonio Gibson has dominated recently. And also Carson Wentz is the quarterback. I really, I think like, he might be an upgrade from Taylor Hanke or Heineke, whatever you say. Um, Heineke? Yeah, Heineken. Um, but Carson Wentz is still, he remains incapable of keeping a balanced attack. He's a, a putrid quarterback, honestly, as in the NFL. I don't see him keeping offenses on their toes. I think they're going to load up the box once again against Antonio Gibson. His points are going to be hard to come by. I'd take David Montgomery, J.K. Dobbins, Brees Hall, Elijah Mitchell, Travis Etienne, all over Antonio Gibson there. I completely agree. I uh, One thing I'd like to say about Antonio Gibson, he was a receiver in college, and he doesn't catch the ball in the NFL. Um, it's confusing. I don't understand it. J.D. McKissick does it instead. But will we ever see that? I don't think so, and that just hurts his value even more. No floor. So those are our bold breakout predictions two guys that we see busting um, compared to their ADP and two sleepers outside the top 25 for Nick, outside the top 35 and even 50 for me, um, where you can find some good values at. Um, there you go, folks. Yep. Thank you for listening. This was the Wagon Fantasy Football Podcast. Follow us on Twitter and TikTok at Wagon Fantasy. 
And that is all for today. We'll see you next week.